0: are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning... These films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. L.A. Confidential, which came out in 1997 and was directed by Curtis Hanson. It stars Guy Pearce, Russell Crowe, Kevin Spacey, James Cromwell, Danny DeVito, David Strathairn, Ron Rifkin, Matt McCoy, Graham Beckel. Paolo Saganti, Simon Baker, Amber Smith, Daryl Sandine, Jeremiah Burkett, and Kim Bessinger. The genre would be crime drama. Welcome to Los Angeles, the city of the future. From the glitz and glamour. What do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like okay. a cop. To the greed and corruption. I run call girls that look like movie stars. Everyone here has a secret. You talk only to me. And secrets can kill. See the movie everybody's talking about. Four stars, says Roger Ebert. The best American movie of the years says New York Magazine. L.A. Confidential. Rated R. Even though it was a period piece, this film was kind of ahead of its time. It almost feels like two or three episodes of a crime anthology show back-to-back, but in a good way. Loads of different characters, shifting point of views, Easter eggs about true-life figures like Johnny Stampinato. Yeah, that was his real name. And a labyrinthine plot, which almost feels too complicated to fit into one movie. And yet, the then-unheralded journeyman director of movies like Losing It and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle was up to the task of being able to adapt an even denser James Elroy crime novel into a tight, cohesive, and satisfying crime epic about L.A. in the booming 50s. And that would be Curtis Hansen and his screenwriting partner in crime, Brian Helgeland. This film treads a lot of the same thematic territory as Chinatown, which is the film that this was relentlessly compared to upon first release. But it's much less of a personal story than that was, along with adapting the rat-a-tat-tat pacing of films which left their mark on the 90s, such as Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction. It's more in that vein. I remember first seeing this in 1997 and being kind of blown away just by how modern it felt, despite taking place more than 40 years prior. And that's not to say it doesn't nail the period details, because it does. Or that the characters seem anachronistic, because they don't. Excuse me. Your it, something. is it the cop Miss <laughs> Bracken I'm Officer White I've been expecting you just not this soon Pierce called he told me what happened to Sue everything alright doll want me to get rid of him hit the rope, pal huh? maybe I will maybe I won't a P.D. get the fuck out of here. I'll call your wife to come get you. Yeah. Officer. Councilman. But there's a self-awareness to the structure of the story and a lot of the dialogue, which almost seems heightened. Like previous episode, Heat, which came out a couple of years prior to this, most of these characters almost seem too clever and sometimes even too aware of how other folks fit into the story in relation to them. The way we hear other characters talk about our three main police protagonists, and that would be Edmund Exley, played by Guy Pearce, Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, and Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey, it makes each of these characters feel larger than life. I can handle Bud White. Can you? I see Bud because I want to. I see Bud because he can't hide the good inside of him. I see Bud because he makes me feel like Lynn Bracken and not some Veronica-like lookalike who fucks for money. I see Bud because he doesn't know how to disguise who he is. I see Bud for all the ways he's different from you. Don't underestimate me, Miss Bracken. The way you've underestimated Bud White like legends in some sort of way that your typical professionals can only relate to from a safe distance. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Taking a note from period piece crime epics of the era from Martin Scorsese, like Casino or Goodfellas, Hansen fills his soundtrack with an array of 1950s pop standards, which really provide some flair to the proceedings. Including several montages, there are just several period-specific goodies sprinkled throughout the movie. Among them is a canny use of one iconic song as a bookend, which plays over the opening credits as Danny DeVito's Sid Hutchins narrates us through the latest Around Los Angeles, which turns out to be copy for his gossip rag called Hush Hush. Mickey sees the head of organized crime in these parts. He runs dope, rackets, and prostitution. He kills a dozen people a year. And the dapper little gent does it in style. The tonal contrast between this song and Sid's cynical prose is obviously meant to be ironic. And it lands nicely. And we hear this bouncy jazz tune during the end credits as well. The song is Accentuate the Positive by Johnny Mercer. And of course, there is that jazz-infused score from the late, great Jerry Goldsmith, which is in some ways an homage to the noirish score that he composed for Chinatown, although that score is probably somewhat sexier, more romantic, with more saxophone. Goldsmith's main theme for L.A. Confidential has a bit more urgency to it, with some mid-paced synth and piano picking up throughout it. We hear this theme throughout the movie, and it does a nice job of bridging the gap between when this film takes place and when it was released. But for me, there is one relatively short needle drop about halfway through the movie, which just really packs a punch. And even though it's a short needle drop, I'm going to delve into it quite a bit. Now, at this point in the movie, all three main characters' detectives are still out on their own doing their own investigations. And we catch up to Jack Vincennes, played by Spacey, at a political event for the district attorney, played very smarmily by Ron Rifkin. DeVito Sid has invited Vincennes there as part of an ongoing effort to blackmail this DA who is gay and in the closet, by sending hot young actors his way so that he can catch him in compromising positions for Juicy Copy for the magazine Hush Hush. And that young actor is Matt Reynolds, played with wide-eyed bemusement by a young Simon Baker, who would go on years later to star in the hit crime drama The Mentalist. We don't see much of this character, but he certainly makes an impact as we have already seen him arrested for the cameras earlier in the movie. Hey Jackie boy, Friend of mine just sold some reefer. The Matt Reynolds. He's tripping the life fantastic with Tammy Jordan. Sorry, I uh, lost you for a second, Sid. Contract players, Metro. You pinch him, I do you up. Nice feature, next issue. Plus usual fifty cash. No, I need another fifty. Two twenties for two patrolmen and a dime for the watch commander at Hollywood Station. Jackie, it's Christmas. No, it's not. It's felony possession of marijuana. In an incident also coordinated by Sid, and this time, Matt is knowingly setting up a story for Sid because his acting career is now in ruins as a result of that first arrest. We feel for this kid, and Jack Vincennes has been running scams like this with Sid for years. We can also tell that doing this is starting to weigh on him too. We cut to Vincennes sitting at a bar near the motel where he's supposed to bust in on Matt and the DA. He's looking in the mirror and is clearly not very pleased with himself. He then puts down the $50 bill given to him by Sid as payment right on top of his glass and abruptly walks out of the bar to do what he has been hired to do. And he opens the door to the motel room. It's dark and he calls out for Matt and then he looks on the carpet on the other side of the bed. There he sees Matt flat on his back, seemingly staring up at him, eyes wide open, with his neck sliced open and blood all around him on the carpet. Yep, he's been brutally murdered. Kid. Of an old romance me. Matt? Come on, kid. You don't have but to do that. Oh, so long ago. How important can it be? And the song we hear over this whole sequence is a lilting big band ballad sung by 50s pop diva Joni James, who apparently was huge in the 1950s, with record sales at the time rivaling even Elvis Presley. No joke. Crazily enough, Joni James ended up selling over 100 million records. The song being played is one of her biggest hits, the lovely How Important Can It Be from 1955. We hear its sadly ironic chorus just as the camera closes in on the eyes of Matt's corpse, and then to a defeated look on Vincennes' face. It might be the most affecting moment of the film. That brings me to the next category, and that would be wasted talent. Speaking of Spacey, I would be remiss to not mention what has happened with regards to Kevin Spacey in recent years. It's both tragic and infuriating to say the least. When this film came out, I was what you would refer to as a, quote, season ticket holder for The Spaceman. I would see everything he was featured in for years to come. And for good reason. Spacey's mid-90s run of swimming with sharks, The Ref, Seven, and of course winning the Best Supporting Actor for playing Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects is undoubtedly legendary. I can still also enjoy watching him in those movies as well. And to this day, he remains one of the most engaging actors I have ever watched on the big screen. But, and I'm going to borrow language here from my Call Me By Your Name review when discussing Army Hammer. In recent years, very disturbing things have come out regarding Spacey and how he has allegedly treated younger, often underaged co-stars and or fellow actors. And along those lines, I do not feel any sympathy for what has happened with Kevin Spacey since then. What has come out about him and how apparently for the time being his roles and opportunities have dried up Well, he allegedly did what he did, and now he's dealing with the consequences. As a lover of cinema, though, seeing how he has squandered the opportunities that he was given, Kevin Spacey has now become a prime example of the phrase, wasted talent. I was supposed to be about justice. Then somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. Why'd you become a (laughs) cop? I don't remember. And that brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. For me, the standout moment for this film occurs about two-thirds of the way into the story. And what makes this scene stand out is that it zeroes in on so many aspects of what makes this film such an exceptional crime drama. There's good character interaction. We see a canny blend of this fictional story with the real-life world in which it inhabits. It moves the story forward, involving this floor secret in an organic manner. And it happens to be the funniest scene in the movie. Vincennes and Exley, played by Pierce, have now joined forces to get to the bottom of some potential links between the Night Owl murders and the recent murder of a young actor which Vincennes inadvertently discovered while doing a pre-planned drug bust, referred to earlier, Matt Reynolds. Vincennes also just explained to Exley what Flor de Lis actually is. It's a high-priced brothel featuring prostitutes who are made up to look like female movie stars, sometimes just through makeup and other times through plastic surgery. They then seek out mob enforcer Johnny Stompanato for questioning, as he's apparently involved with this criminal enterprise. The two cops find Johnny at a local haunt, and what do you know? He's sitting in a booth with one such prostitute, who happens to look like movie star Lana Turner. Hmm. <coughs> Want an autograph? Write to MGM. Uh, since when the two-bit hoods and hookers give out autographs? What did you say to me? LAPD, sit down. Who in the hell do you think you are? Dad, take a walk, honey, before I haul your ass downtown. You are making a large mistake. Get away from our Shut up. A hooker cut to look like Lana Turner is still a hooker. Hey! She just looks like Lana Turner. She is Lana Turner. What? She is Lana Turner. Obviously, an audio clip does not quite do this justice, as you're not able to see Vincennes or Spacey's face once they return to the car. How was I supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to keep himself from laughing. And as a result, of course, they both break out laughing. It's a nice tension breaker for the story. It grounds the overall plot a bit, as both Stampanato and Turner were real people who actually did date during this time period, and... It also helps humanize Pierce's Edmund Exley as we witness him actually laugh at himself for the first time in this story. And now the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As I stated earlier, Curtis Hanson was pretty much just a mid-tier journeyman director before this movie. Having directed pure genre films, which had some gloss to them, but really minimal depth. With the adaptation and production of this movie, he became a top-tier director. I mean, we're talking dense, unique material from what many consider to be the premier crime writer of our time, James Elroy. The book this is based upon is a 500-page beast, and it's written in a distinct staccato style known as, believe it or not, Elrovian. Things happen fast, and fortunes change quickly even for the written word. And what Hansen did with Helgeland with the adaptation of this story was to streamline it and make it more action-oriented while still retaining the overall style and moral ambiguity. The adaptation was masterful, and Hansen with co-writer Brian Helgeland both deservedly won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay as a result. As impressive as it was to successfully adapt this story for the page, it was even more impressive that Hansen was able to craft a fast-paced, star-driven, emotional, and surprisingly easy-to-follow, big-budget entertainment in the end. I mean, wow. Just look at how well this cast is utilized. Bassinger, of course, was never better, and she deservedly won a Best Supporting Actress for her performance. And man, don't even get me started on James Cromwell, who had been making a name for himself in the years leading up to this film, mostly playing lovable, lanky doofuses in movies like Babe and Star Trek First Contact. His Captain Dudley Smith is sharply presented to us early on as a charming, rootable character, also given a very disarming Irish brogue to help us like him even more. Don't start trying to do the right thing, boyo. You haven't had the practice. And then, and this is not taking anything away from Cromwell's fantastic performance, Handsome shoots him at just the right angles to spring the twist of his character on us. Seriously, there's that kitchen sequence between Cromwell and Spacey late in the movie, which features so many perfect choices with regards to sound and shadows. It's just a masterclass in direction. Have you a valediction, Boyo? Rollo, Tomasini. Hansen's directorial career post-LA Confidential did not disappoint, as he directed what is still the only real acting vehicle for Eminem, and that would be 8 Mile, which he did an admirable job with. And he also gave us what I consider to be one of the best comedies of the 21st century, Wonder Boys. But at the end of the day, just considering the sheer difficulty level of adapting this story in such an accessible way, LA Confidential remains Curtis Hansen's crowning achievement, and he is the MVP. My rating for L.A. Confidential is 5 stars out of 5. It's kind of crazy in retrospect that this film came out just within a few weeks of another seminal film, recent episode Boogie Nights. And this was also the same year, 1997, as previous episode Face Off. I mean, 97 was just a crazy good year. We had Titanic, Donnie Brasco, In the Company of Men, The Full Monty, Gross Point Blank, Gattaca, The Game goodwill hunting. For lovers of cinema at the time, I guess we just did not know how good we had it. What would you like in your omelette? Nothing in the omelette, nothing at all. Well, that's not technically an omelette. Well, I don't want to get into a semantic argument over it. I just want the protein, all right? And if you're looking to watch LA Confidential, it is currently streaming on Stars. And that ends another Hush Hush review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.